Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Today is an important but somber day of awareness. People all across the country are recognizing the ongoing disparity when it comes to missing and murdered indigenous people. You'll hear a lot of different numbers when it comes to the crisis, and that's part of the problem. There's no single source of data for native people who are murdered or who remain missing. But it's clear it happens to native people at much higher rates. We'll check in with those on the ground about how they feel the effort to fight the problem is going right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Advocates across the country are holding events this week to raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous people. The Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports. Last year, Congress designated May 5th a day of awareness for missing and murdered Native women and girls. They face murder rates more than 10 times the national average. Northern Cheyenne member Hannah Harris is one example. Her death inspired the resolution in Congress. The 21-year-old went missing and was found murdered in 2013 on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in Montana. May 5th was her birthday. In Colorado, Gina Lopez, a Ute Mountain tribal member, is working with state lawmakers on a bill to create an office for missing and murdered Indigenous people. I am an adult childhood sexual abuse survivor and survived um, intimate partner violence as an adult. And these are unfortunately experiences that are all too familiar to our communities. Advocates are using the Day of Awareness to elevate the Colorado bill. The state could join several others in our region that are trying to address this crisis. For National Native News, I'm Robin Vincent. The possible overturn of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court has weighed heavily on women's rights groups and supporters. This included participants Wednesday at an annual observance of missing and murdered Indigenous women in Springfield, Oregon. University student Samantha Fernandez is of Klamath descent. She says losing abortion rights and access at the federal level would be harsh on an already suffering group that's seen inconsistent health care and disproportionate rates of sexual assault and domestic violence. For tribal people everywhere is, is difficult and they're going to have to seek refuge in other states and it's just going to make them more vulnerable. It's going to put them in an even tougher position and being able to protect themselves and speak out for themselves without facing any backlash or anything like that. The event drew roughly 40 people who heard poetry and remembrances of Native women either killed or who vanished without a trace. The Miami tribe of Oklahoma would remove any cloud on title to land, about 2.6 acres of farmland in eastern Illinois. In exchange, the tribe seeks a one-year window to bring its case to federal court to seek compensation for the land's transfer and sale without tribal consultation or payment. KNBA's Trip J. Krause reports. Douglas Langford is chief of the Miami tribe of Oklahoma. He spoke before the U.S. House Natural Resources Subcommittee on Indigenous People during a hearing on a number of tribal-related issues. So all, all this bill uh, grants to us is our day in court, and we still have to prove our case. But the, the landowners in, in Illinois, you know, once it's signed, they receive immediate relief. Minnesota Democratic Representative Betty McCollum introduced House Resolution 6063, 
for equitable settlement of certain Indian land disputes regarding land in Illinois. The land was part of an 1805 treaty to the ancestral homelands of the tribe, an area south of the Great Lakes in what are now the states of Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Over time, the United States transferred or sold that land to non-Indians without negotiation or payment to the Miami tribe. Because the tribe says the conveyance happened through treaty-recognized title, it says it's entitled to compensation for the loss. In exchange for the tribe extinguishing the cloud on title, it seeks a one-year window for the tribe to bring its case before the United States Court of Federal Claims. But extinguishing the cloud of title would happen regardless of the tribe's court case. That's that's uh, really that's the biggest hurdle is once the law becomes law is to take this and go win our case, which we very much intend to do. For National Native News, I'm Trump J. Krause. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The numbers vary depending on the source, but the bottom line is indigenous women are murdered or go missing at a disproportionate rate compared to the rest of the population. And violent crimes against indigenous women are more likely to go unsolved. These statistics fuel the pervasive perception that prosecutors and law enforcement officials don't treat indigenous women with the same regard as others. It takes an outsized effort to bring their plight to the level of awareness needed to close the gap. Today is National Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day. We're going to check in on the progress towards improving the statistics for Native women by talking with Native activists who are on the ground and fueling local movements to keep Native women and relatives safe and bring them home. We want you to join our conversation as well. How are local MMIW Native activists and groups working in your area? Call in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're standing by to take your calls. Joining us today from Castle Rock, Colorado is Raven Payment. She's a member of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives Task Force in Colorado. She's Ojibwe and Mohawk. Raven, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first off, how are you feeling today, uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day? What's on your mind? Um, I think that's kind of a loaded question. Um, Obviously, this is a rather um, somber and morose day because we are reminded of the violence and the trauma that has been perpetuated against ourselves and our our loved ones and our, you know, relatives, um, you know, across Turtle Island. 
Um, you know, similarly, though, I, I have a, a very deep sense of pride right now in just how we are taking back and trying to reclaim our power to do honor um, by our, you know, our sisters and our, our relatives that have been, you know, taking from us um, and, you know, trying to do right by them moving forward. Um, here on the ground in Colorado, I heard you had Gina Lopez on and we've been working closely together on this legislation and I'm, I'm so proud of our work, you know, of us coming together and like strongly standing in defiance to do what's right for our communities and, and this crisis. Well, Raven, really appreciate you sharing your feelings like that. And it, I guess it is kind of a loaded question with regard to, to how we all feel on this day, certainly a celebration, but also angst and despair as well. So appreciate you being, keeping it real like that. And Raven, the big news up in Colorado, um, elected leaders working on establishing an MMIW office, and I know you're closely involved in those efforts. So what's the latest on that? <laughs> yeah, um, might go a little scorched earth on this. So we have three sponsors, um, Senator Jesse Danielson, Representative Leslie Harrod, and Representative Monica Duran that have been working tirelessly to uphold and center our voices um, for the community to, to pass legislation that works best to um, empower our community and make impactful, positive change um, to, you know, both find some sort of honor for the injustices of the past and also um, looking forward to make sure this is no longer a crisis. Um, that said, we have come against extreme opposition from Governor Jared Polis's administration. Um, they have been dishonest. They um, have been disrespectful. They have been culturally offensive, um, and that also includes the Department of Public Safety. And they are currently threatening a veto if we do not um, cave to what they feel is best for our community. Um, we are working through what changes can be implemented or not implemented um, with the goal of always centering what is going to be best for um, the indigenous community. So Riven, I know the bill, it passed uh, the Colorado House, it passed the Senate, and now it's being just uh, just blocked there by the governor's office. And you mentioned um, just some of these, uh, some bad behavior, some bad comments. So could you give us examples exactly what is, what is going on? What are you getting from the governor's office that is, um, is just so out of line with what um, you're trying to accomplish? Um, so like from the, the representatives from the Department of Public Safety, for example, um, not treating some of our um, sovereign nation's leadership with the respect and levity that they would show um, other officials in positions of power who are non-native. Um, they made many comments um, about the women in our group that we were irrational and overly emotional, um, which frankly, if you're talking about this and you're not a little emotional, I question your empathy and your humanity. Um, but that said, the governor's office has also said that we have not come to this legislation from a position of logic. Um, or with realistic expectations and that we need to be more patient when it comes to making change. Um, similarly, the governor's chief of staff, after we met with the governor on Tuesday, said that she was heavily recommending, ugh, recommending a veto 
and that the veto would be accompanied by an executive order where the governor would establish his own task force um, within the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, um, which I don't know if I should point out the obvious, but that would not be led by the indigenous community. Would it be a task force or an office, though, that would direct its efforts toward indigenous communities, or would it be just kind of a general missing and murdered office for all Coloradans? Um, it would be uh, specific to missing and murdered indigenous relatives. Um, our concern is that the native hiring preferences um, and the accountability to the native community would be lost and it would just be more of the same where non-natives would be working in these, um, you know, highly traumatic situations and continuing to perpetuate more harm. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? It almost sounds like maybe it's a branding issue. Like they want to have, they want to get their own recognition through it maybe. I, what's your thoughts on it? It seems weird. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's a recognition issue, uh, recognition issue, um, I think it's more of a, a power issue. The idea of this bill um, would that was that we would be reporting directly to the Department of Public Safety in our own office, um, so we would have our own autonomy, and there would be some oversight because we would be on the same level as both the CBI law enforcement. Um, to make sure that these institutions aren't trying to bury this office or the issue to avoid, um, you know, accountability to maybe their contributions and to the violence against our people. Well, Raven, it's, it's really disappointing to hear how these efforts have been stonewalled, as you describe it there uh, in the state of Colorado. But I, I, I do want to acknowledge, and, and if, could you, if you could talk about the fact that um, just the bill itself really has been a major accomplishment, and I know that it, it was um, it took a lot of indigenous communities there in the state to come together to put that all in, in operation. So can you you talk about that, just what it took to get the bill um, through those first two um, through through not only the House but also the Senate there in Colorado? Yeah, um, again, I think this speaks to just my pride in you know this force of community coming together. Um, you know, having different voices, being able to do remote testimony throughout the Senate and the House committee, um, you know, from all, all corners of the state, but then also our, our relatives from nations outside of the state. Um, a lot of the, the chairpersons and tribal leaders called in. They, they wrote emails on our behalf. Um, we have more than 60 um, Native organizations that provided um, letters and phone calls of support. Um, and, you know, the really strong, just brave individuals who came forward and, you know, shared very, you know, personal and deeply traumatic, um, you know, their stories to really make these committees, you know, who aren't always aware of this crisis, um, understand, you know, the pain that is embedded in our um, community right now. So we have had unanimous um, bipartisan support throughout the process with the exception of the governor's administration, which again, 
kind of makes it a little frustrating. Um, our representatives and our senators have been um, very open and supportive of this legislation in this office, and it's because of the efforts um, of our community, the, the diversity of our nations coming together, rural versus urban, um, across genders, across sexual orientations. It's been like the most humbling, prideful, beautiful thing you can see. Well, it's really inspiring to hear those words. And so often political and legislative battles, you know, it takes multiple rounds back and forth negotiations. So what are you folks doing on your end now to to galvanize here with this latest resistance you're coming up against the Department of Health and the governor's office to just push this through and, and just keep moving forward? Um, yeah, so again, the the governor has put forth some some proposals for amendments, and essentially what it boils down to is where does the office live um, and how do we make sure that we are not taking away um, the empowerment of our community to lead this work? Um, so there's some conversations going on that are slightly above my um, expertise or pay grade, so to speak, with our, our political representatives and understanding pros and cons. Um, so we should be having resolution on that in the next two days because the legislative session ends on May 12th. So we have to have everything done by then to pass this bill. Well, best of luck in these efforts. And we'll talk more about um, this bill as well as other efforts that you have going on there in Colorado. But we are going to have to take a short break. And listeners, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you've got insights to share, again, today, National Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Connections to tradition are an inspiration for some Native fashion designers, but there are those who take their creative passions far beyond the traditional. We'll hear from Native designers about where they think the trends for fashion are headed. That's on the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one -on -one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top 10 rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about MMIW initiatives today, and we really want to have you, our listeners, be a part of this discussion. How are community leaders where you live working to raise awareness of the issue? What approaches seem to be working? What needs to be improved? We're at 1-800-996-2848. So please pick up that phone or use a voice command and call. We make it easy. 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have another guest on the show today, 
in Anadarko, Oklahoma, we have Sharice Redbone. She's the secretary and one of the original founders of the Indian Capital Chapter. She's Comanche. Sharice, welcome to the show. Welcome. Good morning. Madaway. Sharice, it's so good to have you. And I, I just heard that uh, some really bad weather in Oklahoma has caused some events to, to be canceled there. Is that true? True, true. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that. I, I know how the weather can turn in a dime there in Oklahoma. Tell us more about the events you had planned, though, and, and what's going on now. Okay, we are still gathered at the Capitol. The event has been moved into the rotunda, and we are still following the agenda that was set forth. Uh, currently, I believe one of the one of our chapter members have went live, and they will be uh, breaking for lunch, and then we'll resume back to the speakers that they have lined up for the day. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that that efforts are moving forward. So uh, the situation there in in Oklahoma, just MMIW in general, tell us more about some of the resources and awareness that you have going on there. And and what are you folks doing to make a difference toward closing these disparities that we're talking about on the show today? All right. When uh, And I can uh, speak uh, from grassroots. Please do, yes. From here Please in Anadarko, the Indian capital of the nation. And that's why we had were able to, we all came to a decision and consensus, probably about a, a group of eight women from different uh, professionals, paraprofessionals, and um, homemakers that we would name our chapter Indian capital. We come Understood. from various tribes. Even though we are, there's uh, seven tribes here in southwest Oklahoma, but also our membership consists of other tribes just the same. We have some Sioux. We have, you know, we have different tribe, tribal members represented within our tribe. There are, um, within our group, I'm sorry, there are currently 38 active members. And then, of course, we have our, our board, our, the ones that are active, but what we have done, stepping into this arena, this very challenging arena of representing those who are no longer with us, that we have brought to the world the awareness to the best of our abilities, not only with our voice, but with our actions, such as creating and promoting awarenesses, events, we engage it into our culture as well as community events. We partner with the schools, public school systems here at Anadarko, but we also uh, have a residential school in our community. So the children that are in the, I believe there are about maybe 200, I could be wrong, uh, Native American children that attend our Riverside Indian School, but they also stepped into the arena with us, and they do have a uh, Riverside MMIW with their youth. Well, Sharice, that's great to hear that you're bringing youth into the conversations, getting them involved in some of this outreach, this awareness work, this activism. And Anadarko, Oklahoma, I know that area fairly well. I have an aunt, actually, that's from Anadarko, so big shout out there. 
Sharice, what got you involved in MMIW work? All right. Well, a, a few years back, when we first originated, that uh, I was invited to a um, candlelight vigil down at Randlett Park here in Interdarko, and it was regarding the Savannah Gray win. So when I did uh, join in, uh, I did see that there was a lot of uh, different ladies from the communities that we, you know, already acquainted with, you know. But uh, what also brought to my attention while being there that I seen a banner and it said Comanches on the move. And being enrolled uh, Comanche, I knew what, what that movement was about because they had went up to Standing Rock during the uh, the pipeline, the water, the no dapple. So I felt, you know, that, oh, oh okay, well, you know, I'm going to get to experience this with other women that want to step out, you know, and make a difference. So as I be- went into the uh, ceremony with them and all, uh, I went back. I went back the next day to my office, and I shared with my uh, former employer. And she said, "Well, Sharice, uh, why don't you start one here?" She said, "You could use, you know, this our facility if you would like to." And I said, "Well, there was a lady that was present at that time that, and she also was Comanche." That made a statement that uh, some of the ladies from up north that have been in the movement had approached her and told her that, you know, y'all should start one there in Oklahoma. So she was one of the first ones I contacted. And uh, being, you know, like they say, among uh, Native Americans, the Indian grapevine is the best, the word of mouth. <laughs> so when we did have our uh, first meeting, it was a pretty good a size amount of women that came and joined in. And we knew that being, yeah, we are the majority here in, in Anadarka, Oklahoma, but we also know that a lot of times um, when Indians step out to do something such as this, that a lot of times the non-Indians in the community say, well, they kind of go like, oh, it's going to go away. Oh, it's, you know, it's just just for a little bit, you know, oh, they're not, you know. So what we did, we decided that we would meet once a week. And it didn't matter who came to the meetings as long as it, we met. And it we did real well. Within three months of meeting once a week, we came up with our name, with our mission, and it was all a conglomerated mission. We all, we all, it came from all of our ideas. It wasn't just one set person, Uh but we Uh knew, we knew that we had to be uh, formal about it as well. And, you know, we knew that we'd had to have, uh, not saying we had to go by like Robert rules of order or, you know, parliamentarian procedures because we're native Americans, you know? We have a set rule of how to conduct ourselves in meetings, and we knew that we respected each other when someone came up with an idea, and we wanted, you know, just everybody to come in and share what they have and 
many of the times, the majority of the times, were individuals of families that were victims of assault, uh-huh. of murdered, or missing. So it was really in depth as we begin to meet and begin to get acquainted with one another, with their stories, with their families, and different ones. It, 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 you know, it caught on, and we'd have different ones that would come in, you know, and share with us. Oh, I heard you know, we're meeting here. Can I come? Well, sure. Come on, you know, share. You know, and and and, and this is how it came about. We all were well, able Charisse, to get it. Yeah, it just this is really, really amazing that um, you folks were able to get so much traction for this. And I know you have a daughter, and she's also heavily involved in this um, Indian Capital chapter, isn't she? Yes, sir, she is. Um, Rochelle was kind of like in the background because um, she was a young, agile, vibrant, had a vast experiences in, in different areas and was consistent. When we would mm-hmm. tell her or would come up, you know, with, uh, with our events, she was always right there, always. Okay. Sharice, I, I want to ask you, um, one thing that really amazes me about MMIW is just how it has, has taken hold of Native America all through the U.S., all through Canada. It's just been such a powerful force. And um, what do you think it is? Because these issues have been around for a long time, unfortunately, sadly. Um, these statistics that we talk about with regard to um Indigenous women being murdered at rates much higher than the mainstream population, a lot of these cases not being addressed, um, no resources going towards them. That has been a challenge, a struggle in our communities for many, many years. And there have been other people to try and bring voice to it, but it's never taken hold. It's never just seized the native mindset like MMIW has. What do you think it is? Why now, over the last five, six years, has it just really, really gain so much significance in our communities. What do you think is driving that, Cherise? The driving force behind it is the voice. And I can't just say uh, women, but it is the voice of our women that has taken like wildfire across our nation. Okay. And they, right they now, have... um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Cherise, finish your thoughts. I was just going to say that what you're talking about, because a lot of times, and for well, fact, a lot of times when the trauma happens to us Indians, we don't say nothing in the past. We would turn a blind eye and say, oh, don't say nothing. Oh, you know, but no, it's, it's time. Enough is enough. That's enough. No more. We're, we're not going to allow this to happen no more. And the only way was with our voice, sharing and talking about it. And there, I have seen many uh, women, Indian women, Native American women, young and, young and old alike, find their voice and begin to speak and talk. Many through tears, many through anger, through hurt, but they found their voice. 
Mm -hmm. Sharice, thank you so much for coming on our show today and sharing. And I know with the weather and everything, it's been a challenge. So really appreciate you taking the time and best of luck with all of those efforts. And, and you're there, um, you know, pushing, uh, push, working with legislators and, and other leaders. So again, best of luck to you all in all those efforts. I'd like to bring another guest into our, our conversation now. Joining us from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is Patricia Whitefoot. She's an MMIW activist and a retired educator and co-host of the War Cry podcast. She's also a family advisor for the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. She's a member of the Yakima Nation and also Dene. Patsy, welcome back to Native America Calling. Yes, it's good to be here once again. Good morning. Patsy, I know you're also an elder. You are a great grandma. In fact, you just welcomed your great grandbaby who was born yesterday. So congratulations to you and your family. Thank you very much. It was just heartwarming. I'm over here at the Coeur d'Alene Tribes Resort and to get that message from my sister who's also with me was heartwarming as I shared the story of a sister and with the birth of a another great-grandchild. Thank you. Well, again, you bet. Congratulations to you all again. Patsy, um, the MMIW movement, I, I mentioned earlier how it's just really taken hold across Native America. How, what have you seen with regard to the momentum and the change in recent years and the awareness that's just been amped up all over Native communities with this issue? Yeah. Well, I think this is an issue that has as we know, has been going on a long time since colonization first began here on our homelands. And this has occurred throughout the world uh, amongst other indigenous populations as well. And as indigenous peoples, uh, you know, including Canada and, uh, you know, in other world, in other parts of the world, you know, we're communicating more with one another. We have the ability to be able to do that. And I think social media has, been a part of that process, and so you have women. We're, we're communicating across borders. You know, we're communicating with Canada. We're co communicating with um, with Mexico. So we know what's going on, and so you know, our voices are rising. Well, we're not going to be silent anymore because this has been going on too long. And if we don't work to prevent it and end it, it's going to continue on. And I don't want that for my my great-grandchildren and the great-granddaughter that just came into this world. We have a responsibility in terms of their health and well-being in the future uh, to be, you know, to be one that is going to be productive for them to contribute to society and to contribute to their tribes as well. So it's this heavy responsibility, I think, for all of us uh, to address this issue. And what specifically is going on? Um, what types of events do you have where you're at uh, there in, in Washington State? What types of initiatives are underway, MMIW all related? Okay. Uh, yes. Well, the work that we're doing here, I think, in, in Washington, not only centers on the state of Washington, but the advocacy is to make certain that we're also reaching out to our our neighboring, the neighboring states where our sister tribes are located. You know, I might be a member of the Yakima Nation, 
but that doesn't mean I don't have family like in the Warm Springs Reservation and, you know, my sister who's been missing. Uh, she was Yakima and Warm Springs, and uh, we also have relatives in Umatilla Reservation, Nez Perce in, in Idaho, and Coeur d'Alene, and Coeur d'Alene, I mean, it's the Coeur d'Alene tribe in Idaho, and which is where I'm at today. And so part of this is an educational process for the legislators, but also for our own people, recognizing the fact that we have always been a migratory people and that we're, we're responsible for working with uh, our family members, um, you know, across these borders that aren't our borders. And so working to educate and, and empower ourselves with whatever we're doing. For instance, we just uh, passed legislation for an uh, emergency alert system in the state of Washington, which I testified both in writing and orally. And so we made certain that we're including um, individuals from uh, the neighboring states to participate in some of our task force activities if they choose to. Uh, after that, the, a task force was formed as well. And so we're reaching out, for instance, to Coeur d'Alene, and I'm here with the Coeur d'Alene tribe today. And then uh, we're reaching out to city of Portland, which has a tribal liaison. Okay. Patsy, I'm sorry. We're going to have to take a short break here, but I am going to let you finish those thoughts when we come back from break. Folks, you're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. You are tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Folks, there's still time to join today's conversation about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and relatives. We really want your input. How have you seen the movement grow? How would you like to see it take shape in other areas of community and law enforcement? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we went to break, we were listening to Patsy Whitefoot. And Patsy, you were describing some inner tribal MMIW efforts there in the Pacific Northwest. Please continue your thoughts. Um, yes, thank you. Well, I think it takes organizations like we have in the Northwest, the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians, to also bring us together where our tribal leadership participates on policy initiatives that will uh, also go to the national level with the National Congress of American Indians and then uh, advocacy work with Congress. And so this advocacy work includes not only Congress, but also at the state level and then, of course, international issues as well. Okay. So that's well, we have a, what's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patsy. We have a caller on the line now listening in Bend, Oregon on KWSO. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, how you doing? Can you hear me? We can hear you, yeah. What's on your okay, mind? Uh, I'm just thinking, sorry, I'm a little bit um, emotional right now. I'm just thinking about my family and 
my uncle is missing, um, and they trafficked my mother, raped my grandmother and my father and my brothers, and it's just so much. And you know what's very ironic is that I'm currently driving past that house that has a Confederate flag in front of it, and just today is just a day that people will be free, and I, I just people will be free and that bill needs to pass through Colorado and it should be passed today. And I just want to thank everyone to bring me and hearing me and thank you. Okay. Okay. My heart goes out to you and please, please. Um, if you need to pull over, if you need to call a close friend or somebody, I just, you need some support right now, please reach out uh, to someone there in the community that, that can maybe offer some assistance. I, I, I'm sorry that, um, you know, you would feel triggered in this regard, but do appreciate your call and, and, and very much um, welcome all of your thoughts and comments. And you mentioned the the Colorado bill. So I'd like to, to bring Raven back into the conversation. And, and Raven, when you hear callers like that, Native people in other parts of the country, and and they support your efforts, and they're paying attention, and they're concerned. Uh, how does that make you feel? Hi, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm a little. Uh, that choked me up a little bit. Um, sure. You know, Absolutely. and I think that um, you know that speaks to today. And I'm I'm so sorry we're hurting like this. That you're hurting like this. Um, you know, to hear our relatives, you know be able to be so open in their pain, um, it, it, it moves me. And I think this is why those of us who have chosen to work on this bill um, chose to do this, because we don't want this pain anymore. Um, you know, I, I want us to, to have space for, for joy and happiness. And I know we find those things even in light of of this topic and this crisis that's happening to us. But, um, yeah, that, that hit me right in the heart. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it hit me there too. And Raven, you know, it, what it really underscores to me is earlier you talked about the resistance that you've come across there from the governor's office and the, the health department. And, you know, I wish some of these folks would, um, would hear comments like what we just heard and understand it at a, at a more granular level and it really begs the question that I want to ask you is, what's what's missing here? Why don't these elected leaders, why aren't they getting the message? And what do we need to make them better understand just the, the seriousness of the MMIW crisis? Um, you know, if that's kind of the million-dollar question. I feel like if we had that answer, um, this country might be a lot different. Um, I will say that our our leaders, our politicians, our legislators have heard stories just like hers. They've heard testimony just like hers, like ours. Like these are very common stories. They're full of tears and pain. And we go out on these, you know, stages and in front of these microphones and we parade our trauma um, in an attempt to you know, be seen with a basic level of humanity. Um, and what we hear a lot specifically from this administration is we understand the issue. We recognize your pain. Um, 
but we know what's best to address this issue for you. And I don't know if it's they're either ignorant to it or they're maliciously doubling down on their solutions are what have caused this problem the entire time. And until they put the power to address these issues back into the hands of our community, it's just going to be more of the same. Well, Patsy, how about up there in the Pacific Northwest? Are, are you experiencing similar resistance where you are? Um, thankfully, we are working very well with our attorney general here uh, with the MMIW issues in our state along uh, with the governor and you know other elected officials here. Our last legislation that we had passed, SHB 1725, to create an emergency alert system was sponsored by Deborah Lekhanoff. Uh, who's a clinket and a member of the legislature as well. And so, you know, to have that kind of advocacy is important to us, but also it means that we have more work to do to work with our tribes here in the Northwest as well. So when we come together through organizations such as ATNI, I think that's when we can get work done, but it also means we also have to include our family voices too. And so, as I said, on the task force, uh, there is a role for the family voices, and we we meet with talking circles every time the task force meets, and so we meet for a period of um, a three days. Uh, one with the talking circles, the second day with the business, and the fourth, the third day with um, community input to the work that's going on here. So um, one of the reasons I'm here in uh, Idaho and with the Coeur d'Alene tribe is to again bring voice to family members and the processes that they're going through, similar to the young lady that called, um, you know, from Bend. I was just thinking about, you know, her cry, and I and I remembered my sister and I were just there in Bend um, at the High Desert Museum, you know, focusing on the Native American, um, you know, artifacts that they have. And so I'm working with a group of Northwest uh, tribal uh, representatives to view these artifacts that are in place in museums. And it is a, also a painful process, but we also you know, are working toward making certain these kinds of items are remembered in the proper way as well and handled in the proper way. And similarly, the story of my sister who's been missing over 30 years, I want to make certain that they're being, you know, addressed in a proper way, you know, that we're honoring them and I know that there's pain. We all feel that pain. And as the young lady called in, I was thinking about, you know, what happened years ago in Canada. The, the hurt of one is the hurt of all. The healing of one is the healing of all. And that's what I see us working toward in every facet of the work that we do, whether that's with MMIW or with museums or with higher education institutions, with the public school system where our children are still being traumatized. There's so much, you know, there's, there's so much historical and intergenerational trauma that must be addressed at all levels of, of our communities and government. So that's the kind of work I feel that, you know, I'm trying to do and trying to always center, center myself again, back to the fact that, you know, this is something we need to address and we need to address it now. And we can't give up. We have to continue bringing the voices of our ancestors, bringing the voices of our missing and murdered 
relatives and our family members. And similar to the young lady, I too have had numerous first cousins who've been killed and are murdered. And it just, you know, we have to prevent it. Again, one of the reasons that I'm here in with the Coeur d'Alene tribe uh, in their next step conference on missing and murdered indigenous people. Well, Patsy, condolences to you and your family, um, your sister that you mentioned missing for 30 years, and these other other relatives as well. Listeners, there's still time to chime in on this conversation. 1-800-996-2848. That is the number. Phone lines are still open. Producers are standing by. So please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. And Patsy, one of the reasons I feel that MMIW has been so successful is because it is a grassroots campaign. And, um, you know, you, you have just different efforts, different types of initiatives in different parts of the country. But is there like one model that really stands out so that other states, like what we're seeing in Colorado and the challenges they're coming up against and elected leader leaders, everybody could just look to you as kind of a, a good model to start with. And, and maybe that would help move some of these efforts along. Can you look at one model in specific? You know, I haven't um, been really paying attention to what's going on nationally. Uh, just been focusing on what's going on here in the Northwest. But, you know, I just learned something about the creation of an MMIW office, and that's something we may want to do here. And, and this was a wonderful opportunity, you know, Native American calling to be able to hear that. So, um I think if we can work like regionally, it would be help with the intertribal organizations because that's where we're at, but also with our grassroots effort. Um, it's just us communicating with one another. And so I'm just thinking about the work that we do with the, the War Cry podcast. We're a group of uh, four women, uh, four Yakima women, and um, and I'm the elder consultant with these uh, three other Yakima women of I just want to say their names, a shout out to Robin Pibashi, Emily Washings, and Lucy Smartlot, because we all go in different directions and we're all at different levels, but we're also about communicating, community, communicating, you know, not only with our tribal uh, relatives, and, but also with Northwest tribal people as well. Uh, for instance, Robin is, a, I think she's part Comanche, and then I believe Emily's part Korea. So we also have, you know, carry these stories that we have as well across these borders. Again, want to emphasize these are not our borders. You know, carrying that message with family members. And of course, I was uh, Danae, uh, my sisters and I, and we carried, uh, you know, in with family members in Arizona as well. So we've got to do at the grassroots level, level whatever it takes to reach out to one another. I'm simply okay. just sending information via email to uh, people on you know my reservation who I know have been impacted personally, and so send them email to remind them that this is coming up, and that's what it takes. And we keep we keep advocating it, advocating at many levels, and we just won't give up. And I just think this is a group of women who and family members who aren't going to stop. I'm thinking about our. National Indian Women's Resource Family Advisors, you know, people like uh, Grace Bulltail of the Crow Nation, Leanne Guy in uh-huh. Arizona, okay. Melinda Limberhand, who's the mother of Hannah Harris in Northern Cheyenne, and Nana Faye Paglina uh, from Hawaii, 
and Tammy Drew from Alaska. So it takes, you know, not only our local effort, but it also takes this this um, this national level because then by working sure, with the National sure. Union Resource Center, then that's a okay. lot of advocacy that's going on. Okay, Patsy, thank you so much for those insights. Really, really enlightening. We do have a caller on the line now, Marion, listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Marion, you're on the line. Good morning. I'd like to thank you for your work. I am Marion. Good luck. Calling from Albuquerque, I want everyone to know that the American Indian Women's Center is still functioning and we're still trying to open a domestic violence shelter to help families because some of these uh, kids who get older run away from home, uh, boys and girls, and they seek alternative methods of making money so they can eat and try to find a place out there that's safe. And so I think that we still need to fight for domestic violence shelters in all our communities to open them up and be ready for these people, these children. So that's all I want to say, and I want to thank you very much for all your work. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Marion, thank you so much for calling. And we're running low on time, but Raven, I, I do want to give you the last word. If you could comment with regard to these innovative models or approaches and and they're in Colorado what was the inspiration what was the the framework that you folks used to create this bill and push forward these efforts that you're working on there in Colorado could you talk about that uh, we got about a minute before we got to wrap up all right I'll try not to talk super fast um, but again kind of the ingenuity of indigenous people I think we're the smartest best people on the planet um, so we looked at the other states' models. Um, Minnesota was one of the biggest um, inspirations for how we modeled doing an office. We did look at Washington as well because we have also incorporated an alert system. We looked at the task force reports coming out of um, New Mexico, obviously the Urban Indian Health Institute report from 2017, um, and then just through our own networks of people that we know on the ground doing this work, we had about two years of conversations um, of what's our ideal approach to do this, and it manifested itself in seven pages of legislation. Well, it's been a really inspiring conversation today, and I do want to thank our guests, Patricia Whitefoot, Raven Payment, and Sharice Redbone for informative and compelling updates on the MMIW movement. Join us again tomorrow for a discussion about new indigenous fashion. It's a hot, fast-growing segment of the contemporary native art scene, and we'll talk with some happening native designers who are making a splash. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. 
If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. First baby, don't know where to start? CMS program coverage, prenatal service. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.